0: Welcome to the For the Church Podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author-in-residence at Midwestern Seminary, and I'm here as always with my friend and my colleague and my co-host, Ross Ferguson, academic advisor. How are you, brother? I'm doing really well. Yeah. Really good. I I don't think most people know that that little intro that I just did is... is Live it's time. live every time. Yeah. It's recorded every time. It's not like a you know thing that they just plug on there. Yeah. I, I actually do it, and it's it, and as I'm doing it, I'm realizing how similar it sounds. Like you get into this yeah. rhythm of like it's just you have your radio. Voice. It sounds the same every single time. You know what's hard is there's a part where there's a lot of words and I run out of breath. Mm. <laughs> Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. <laughs> like, I get to the end, like <laughs> it's like a little a breathy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really
1: want to be here. <laughs> hey, I have a question for you. Okay. How is your and um, Becky's new book going? How's it going? Well, the publisher is happy. We okay. just
0: got an email a couple days ago where they told us the first month of sales, which, which they said was really impressive. Yeah. So the the you know trick, of course, is that there's legs on the thing, because yeah. sometimes a book makes a big splash, and then it just kind of... Fades out, but so far so good. Seems to be doing well. And one thing that's a little different with this book is, this the big the big marketing push hasn't taken place yet. Like okay, they're about to send stuff out to influencers. Okay, the little you know you know packages, and we're just now like next week we've got a round of podcast and radio interviews that we're doing. We've done a couple, but all of that is like starting a month after the book huh. is launched, which is not normal. Yeah. Usually it's a month before. So I'm hoping that that'll
1: that kind of give it another going, yeah. little... But it's also yeah. because it's a book that's for like those in their 20s, and I've, I've definitely seen a yeah. lot of... The um,
0: book is called Go Outside, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was letting you do that. Man. Okay, um, <laughs> uh, I've seen a lot of people say give it to those that are graduating high school or college. Or yeah. things. So uh, I would imagine it has traction off... It's not really. The advice is not really going to change depending on which year you're graduating type thing, if that right. makes sense. So I would imagine that it might have a cyclical thing of maybe in summer sales will go up.
0: That's or something. the hope. Yeah. That's the hope, that it's a seasonal thing for sort of graduation time or going away to college time. Mm-hmm. So summer would be a good... Key thing, my Advent book. I think similarly. Yeah, it was like I don't actually know how well my Advent book did, but I thought, well, there's another Advent there's, coming there's back around. Advent, we'll just do yeah. another push for it. Yep. Maybe it's a book that has legs. It's a mailbag episode today. I think these are my favorite. Ones. I think our listeners like these the best too. Yeah. You just get a kind of grab bag of things. We do the we do light banter so we can jump right in because sometimes these things kind of take us a little bit longer than regular episodes. But I've got a good array of questions. Actually, these are sort of. I didn't even ask for new questions. These are like half of the last the time last one. Yeah. questions we didn't get to, but that were still good and we wanted to kind of carry them over. So we'll jump right in. This comes from Ralton on Facebook. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Ralton, Ralton. Rolton, Ralton, Ralton yeah. on Facebook. He says, with the growth of chatbots and other AI, how should we shepherd ourselves and our congregations during this time? While a potential useful tool, AI, could cause us to falter and not focus on God and the truth found in the Bible. What ethical issues demand the biblical worldview in these cases? This is an interesting question because things are happening really rapidly. I'm sure this question was somewhat brought about by the sudden popularity or the sudden rise of chat GPT. The AI program, which I'll be honest with you, I'm not totally versed in yeah. all this thing, but it's apparently you go online and it's artificial intelligence. You can get it to do things for you, answer questions, compile things. It repre- It's artificial intelligence. But in the last day, uh, or at least the day of this recording, we've also seen Apple has announced their new virtual their reality yeah. headset thing, which... I mean, it's like thirty five hundred bucks. Yeah. I don't know who's going to be buying these things. People who have no problem going into debt for yeah. you know these sort of trinkets. Um, but that's sort of like, oh, this is the next level. Yeah. We're now in Minority Report where we can yeah. sort of <laughs> live that world. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want my laptop strapped to my face. That's sort of where
1: I'm at with these things. (laughs) I don't know that I'm the best person to answer this question, but we're going to take a shot. Yeah, I've I've got a couple of examples just to bring some kind of context to it. We've actually had a bit of an issue with this with our online students. Oh, for sure. We've had to let our online students know that uh, any form of AI in any form of way is plagiarism. Okay. Um, And it is actually now in our handbook to state very clearly that it cannot be used. And actually, we've had a lot of students kind of go, why do we even need to see this? Of course it's not my words type yeah. thing. And we're like, but... When people want to try new things or are under pressure, one or the other, they will use these things. And so we have had, just as an institute, had to respond to this. And we've kind of said we're not talking about services that help you check your grammar. We're talking about something that writes words that are not yours. Right. And that in itself is a form of plagiarism that we've had to do. So I don't believe we've had too many issues yet with it. We've just had to kind of raise that up and let people know. I have a fairly simple answer to this question. Okay. Don't use it. Don't use it. Okay. Yeah. So there's a couple of things I, that came to my mind. Was number one, just because a technology is raising in the world, does not mean we as the church have to follow that way. Now, okay. historically, the church has always been like 20 years behind when you know projection. Um, came around we were still using the acetate you know uh, nobody knows what that is brother <laughs> <laughs> The,
0: <acetates. laughs> the, um, the uh,
1: like overhead yeah like overhead okay do you know uh, is this a british thing <laughs> what would we call what do we call it like the a clear over-
0: plastic yeah yeah i them. think you yeah um, the acetates no anyway. we, we had a different name for it okay. but i can't remember what it is uh,
1: and then we went from you know as the world went to like 75 inch tvs we're going like we need a bigger projector transparencies transparent um so Uh, just because the world is doing it doesn't mean we have to do it so Mm. that's number one number two i've just put it's not your voice and it's not it kind of seems like cheating to use a system to write stuff for you if you're thinking sermons if you're thinking talks bible studies do the study do the writing that's part of the process So to kind of use some form of AI, it just kind of feels like cheating. And I do know that some people are using it for kind of advertisements and because they're bigger churches or whatever and they're needing to get things done, hire staff and get some real kind of input into it. So for me, you can take this in any form of what you want, any ethical debate you want. My answer is just going to be, don't use it. Okay.
0: (laughs) So I'm going to speak as one who, again, knows very little about this. I don't even know why we're doing this question. (laughs) To my understanding... When I think about so, Ralton mentions it's a potentially useful tool. This is like I could see someone using AI. Like I was, let's say I'm prepping a sermon, mm-hmm. and I don't use any technology actually, other than books and a I word. Use, yeah. I mean, I'll use my laptop to write my sermon, yeah. but like I don't use Logos. I yeah. don't use you know. Logo. I'll go to I'll go to Bible you know Bible Gateway to look yeah. at verses and things like that. But but that's it. Everything is with a pen and paper and books. So. But I but I could foresee somebody going into ChatGPT or one of these AI programs and saying, "Show me a summary of the commentaries on." Yeah. So it's a thing that they would do, and it's saving them time. Like I'm going to go pull these books off my shelf. Now I prefer pulling the books off the shelf, yeah. but I could see somebody saying, "Show me the, the summary." That's different than saying, "Write my sermon for me." Yeah, I mean, I, I want to see the excerpts of the the major commentaries on on this passage and it's but is that and it's like using Logos in some way of like show me or is that just a search engine well that's I mean I think AI is able to organize again I I haven't not used it so I don't know but I've heard of this example of somebody saying you know show me the you know a compilation of this or that or the other thing and it's doing research exerting research energy for you in much less time or you know give me an outline of this sort of you know the research on this thing or the, the
1: arguments of this and
0: and, and it's a means of research.
1: compiling research but then you're removing so because like if you say you know give me the stated argument on this particular thing do you know end times let's just pick that yeah like it removes your personal research and you're assuming that what you're seeing is the correct summary does that yeah, make sense there's a lot it does of yeah and
0: i'm not saying that like this is what everyone should do. No. I'm just saying this is what I could kids. see as a this as a potential tool. In the same way that someone might go into Logos or whatever, yeah. if maybe there are things that AI can do that shortens time i could see a bivo pastor or somebody who's like man my the time i'm going to write my own sermon yeah but the time it takes for research i could really condense that down and if this helps me do that i'm like okay i mean i think there's huge benefits to doing your own research being your, the nose in those books yep. um, and that's what i do but I, it's hard to fault somebody who would say you know this is helping me in some regard i think where you run into the gray area um, is when you start having it construct things for you that you're now going to represent as your own yeah. um, your own work. Like give me a sermon outline. Now you're a gray area. Yeah. Certainly you're in um, you've entered
1: into plagiarism territory when it's actually composing the thing for you. Didn't Um, our institute recently in the press get into trouble because they responded to a situation, it was like a negative situation, and their uh, staff as an educational institute used chat, GPT and they used that to do the response to the situation. Oh, wow. I almost want to say it was like a campus shooting or something, and they used it as respond to these parents. What a... Dumb thing to do. And, and that's, that's, <laughs> I mean, I can't even think of the headspace that would be like. Let's see
0: what AI would have us say. Time
1: and that's why yeah, I'm saying I, I see. I'm struggling even with the yeah. that time will be saved. But see, even that that's like compose like it's the composing. Message. Yeah. yeah, I think when you move into the composing world, I, yeah, I'm just don't even go near. Oh, it. for sure. Yeah. yeah, I I totally agree. I don't and, even know if I can get on board with the compiling personally.
0: What? Well, when you, when you lean on that normatively too, I would say it begins to kind of undercut or erode the credibility of your ability to teach as yes. a qualification for pastoral ministry. How do we know you're able to teach? If you can't, if, if even the outline stage is not you, yeah. you can't even make sense of a passage to construct an outline out of it. How do yeah. we know you're able to teach?
1: So this you know, kind of are we going too long on this question? Well, let think? me let me just very quickly say, <laughs> could this also fall into the realm of having a preaching group that does all the research together, and then you write the sermon based on their research? It's I, but it's like ten guys in a room doing the research. And oh, saying, I think it's similar. Like I don't, I don't think that's wrong.
0: But it's got that. And I've done sermon research for guys before yeah. in the past. Um, I don't think that was wrong. Um, but I would not do it myself. I I
1: agree, and I I think that's my concern.
0: I got you. Okay. So, I mean, he mentions what other ethical issues or what ethical issues demand the biblical worldview in these cases. I just think, like, the use of technology, we need to be more circumspect about. There are things, like, that can be helpful, useful as the church progresses. We don't want to be, you know, Luddites about things, and, you know, we don't want to neglect excellence because we're stuck in a past century technologically. At the same time, we need to be Really critical about our, you know, our use of technology. Not just uncritically embrace everything. Yeah. Virtual reality, artificial intelligence, all these sorts of things. When we're we're dealing with a message that is oriented around incarnation, and the more we deincarnate the experience of church from virtual campuses and so on and so forth, whether it's an ethical issue or not, it kind of. I think sometimes goes against the grain of -hmm. the Christian message, which is embodied presence. So as much as we can, live preaching, real gathering, real presence with people, using technology as a tool when that isn't possible, okay, but as a norm, we need to be really, really careful about. Here's Chris on Twitter. Chris says, How do you address that unteachable member? The person that'll only speak up in small group discussions when they disagree, and only tries to win arguments instead of seeking the truth of Scripture, would this ever get into a church discipline scenario? I, I wonder if any of these kinds of people are listening. They have to be. They have to be. They, I, I think there's a lack of self awareness first of all, yep. because we've all known these guys. Yep, they they exist in every church, just about. You know, maybe not every church, but in just about. It's so common. And sometimes you want to say to them, "Do you?" Know? I don't think yeah. they know. Sometimes they, they usually have no idea. Do you know that everything thoughts? you say is a, yeah. some sort of criticism
1: or disagreement? Yeah. Is that all you do? And it's so wearying. And it's more than just what they say. It's that if anyone ever responds to something differently, they're like, nope, that's wrong. And, and they don't <laughs> even realize it. Right. Um, can I start with, I, I don't know how you would start. I mean, I, when I read this question, I actually thought of several members of, of the past and just times I've handled it incorrectly and times that. When we handled it, it seemed to go well. One of the things that seems to have gone well in the past for me is when you just go and spend some one-to-one time with them. Yeah. So it's not church discipline. You're not Matthew 18 yet. We're not going down that direction yet. You're just going to spend some time with them, and you're asking the question of kind of like, what's going on in your life? I I noticed recently that you were, you know, the last couple of meetings. There's been a lot of negativity coming from you. I'm, I'm not really here to question that I'm really trying to figure out what's what's going on in your life why do you think yeah. I'm getting this impression and a couple of situations I've found that individuals just feel like their voices are not being heard or they have a bad history with the previous pastor or there's there's just something that is actually at the core of that and I know from a counselling perspective, what you want to be doing is trying to, to get to that kind of root cause. And really the grumble in the room or the negativity is usually not the root cause. There, there's something else there. And I find that when I've done a one-to-one and reassuring people, hey, I am here, I am listening to you, I do I do get the struggles, I'm gonna adjust this, gonna change this. And and often when you bring that reassurance to them, it can quiet down a little bit. I'm not always saying it goes to, to a lot. And then also, moving from that private one-to-one and then from that making a stepping stone into the public forum of actually asking them their opinion so rather than having their hand come up in a meeting and saying hey you know I disagree with this I think this is bad actually going you know picking you know Joe Bloggs is a random name Joe Bloggs I know we met with you recently what's your thoughts on this and actually as you engage with them rather than expect them to become negative sometimes that can really help. I yeah. Say sometimes is a key word here. But yeah, that one-to-one that kind of moves through the issues, not as a church discipline yet, but just kind of trying to care for them.
0: Yeah, so I, I think, I mean, I'm sure Chris means, f- you know, formal church discipline like you mean, but just meeting with someone is a, is a you know, is informal church discipline. It's a sharpening or encouraging. Yeah. And again, I think um, so many of these kind of folks, in my experience, are, they lack self-awareness. So when you even say this to them, they're, they very often don't know, oh, that's the impression that I'm getting, or that's what I'm doing. I didn't realize, you know. And so maybe you're able to, in a gentle one-on-one conversation, not in front of everybody, but but to ask as you said you know is everything okay everything going on but but also to be direct i mean i i've actually had this conversation to say do you know that every time you speak it's this it's critical and and man that's really discouraging actually yeah. and and i 9 times out of 10 the, the people say i had no idea that i was doing that yeah. and so you know maybe they can adjust chris mentions that the person is unteachable yes so let's say you do have this one on one meeting with them and they say That's just who I am. I've had this happen. I've had guys say to me, I'm too old to change, you know, or whatever it is. Now you have a decision to make. I I do think formal church discipline is possible if you're dealing with someone who... Is intentionally divisive. Yes. They're trying to bring people alongside. They're sowing division, doubt in people's minds about really key spiritual things. Mm-hmm. If it's just somebody who's a contrarian, yeah. let's just call them Eeyore. Yeah. You just got Eeyores in your church. Yep. You don't do formal church discipline on Eeyores. Yeah. You just – Show grace and kindness. Every family's got the Eeyores,
1: and you just live with the Eeyores. And I also think there are some people who actually, they're just embarrassed by their lack of knowledge sometimes. So sometimes Mm. they, you know, if you say to someone, what's your ecclesiology? And they're like, oh, we don't need to talk about these things. It can be that they just don't understand. So you want to be lovingly kind of guiding them. For me, the way I've kind of thought about unteachable is discipline, yes, try and win over the heart first oh, yeah. so I've kind of gone I've gone through try and win over their hearts before questioning the behavior disciple them in other words kind of just saying like every time I come and chat with you about this like you don't seem to want to grasp this can I can I just for this conversation just suggest that I'm right and and let's see where this goes for this conversation let's let's go the way you're thinking let's take it to the nth degree if i keep seeing this behavior what do you think it's going to produce you know try and win over the heart that's right pray for them guide them love them be kind have a meal with them be hospitable towards them you know actually actively try and disciple them if all of that's not working then yes discipline that is the way you go but you don't you don't want to go he disagrees with everything i'm doing so bang here's church discipline it's a, if he yeah. disagrees with everything well he's a member of your church well he's and and, I, and
0: i'd also say it depends on what the disagreement yeah. is like if this is someone who is disagreeing with core doctrines of the faith or mm-hmm. in 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 some other way or even secondary doctrines that you know your church is organized around you know you've got the guy who's now sold out on in, you know Baptism. he's getting real yeah. hyped up on you know presbyterian type stuff and you're in a baptist church and he's bringing it up all the time and well i mean that's potentially divisive that's he's 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 speaking you know contradictorily to how your church is organized and so that's something that if he's unteachable yeah. unwilling to hold his hold his tongue about those matters then yeah you're you're kind of walking down the road you know, given unrepentance in this area to formal church discipline. But if you've just got somebody who, like I said, is just kind of they're a contrarian type guy, yeah. you know, you want to address that, but yeah. you're also just trusting them with the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit's going to be kind of, you know, softening them up over time. Sometimes it takes a little longer than we would like. The Holy yeah. Spirit's not working on our timetable. But typically what happens is when you have this sort of, you know, the, the Eeyores in your church, whenever they get Eeyore-like, you can see – I mean you can see at business meetings you can yep. see in Sunday school classes when the eor talks you can see everyone else is just kind of like here you know yeah.
1: you know so it's just
0: you just got to love
1: them. you just got to live with them and bear with them. How they respond to you. So I'm thinking one particular person tended to be a little bit Eeyore, tended to be a little bit more on the grumpy side of things, always generally looked at life in a negative way. Some business meetings were negative. And when we raised it with this individual, I actually raised it multiple times, their response was always anger. It Uh, was always, how dare you see this? And actually because they never climbed down from that anger, the anger just got worse and worse and worse. And we did have to go to this. Well, it's unsubmissive,
0: yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. On the opposite side, I had somebody that tended to be like that, and when we raised them, they were super apologetic and just like, this is something I'm working on, hmm. I'm really sorry. I then also I had guys that were, you know, pro-everything the church was anti, you know, it was that kind of thing. <laughs> and yeah. on those guys, any conversation you have, you're never going to win them over. They are just out and out, ready to be de- divisive within the church. And hmm. you do need to not... Sorry, you need to not be scared of church discipline. Um, It's important. That's good. Okay, Stephen on
0: Facebook. Stephen says, I'd like to hear your take on the elder requirement of husband of one wife, specifically with respect to divorced men. So I don't think he's asking, can single men be pastors? Although I think you and I both agree single men can be pastors. But he's asking about, can divorced men... Mm. Be pastors, and we actually haven't talked about this beforehand, so I don't know no. that we're on the same page. We, I mean, maybe we are.
1: So we have a little bit of context and see if we, as we pick through, <laughs> we'll see. So one, if we're talking about divorced pre becoming a Christian, I, well, I, yeah, I think so a, our more. answer to this question is going to depend on
0: your context. our view of divorce,
1: yeah. really. So. Yeah. Would, would you say divorce is ever biblically allowable? Yes.
0: Permissible. Okay, yes. I would
1: as well. So I'm, I'm under the viewpoint of exception clauses, okay. where if it's marital unfaithfulness on the other party, as in you are the innocent party, so right. to speak, on that, then yes, I think divorce is permissible. I think divorce is permissible in the exception clause of desertion, which uh, of, uh, of an unbelieving spouse. And then... We don't necessarily see that as much these days as in historically, biblically, you know, husband just disappears, just gone. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I think also that comes into play with abuse. So, desertion from what it means to be a biblical husband. So, you're, yeah. you're physically, emotionally. I would put that under emotions. marital unfaithfulness, actually. Oh, would you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I mean,. Yeah. Either way, I think abuse of your spouse. I, I think we should not have abused individuals staying in a marriage. I think we. we th- it is permissible through these exception clauses. with of those exception clauses, I'm divorce is not permissible. I got you. Okay. So it's just within those two exception clauses. Yes, I I, I agree. Yep. What about remarriage after divorce? I, I am okay. As long as it's within those exception clauses as well. If the if the divorce was biblically permitted, then then, remar- the then you're free to remarry. If the divorce is uh, not biblically permitted, for instance, it was just what, what's the phrase they use now? Un- unfor- not unforeseen circumstances, irreconcilable differences, exactly. Yeah. And that could be anything. Um, I don't believe that anything divorce then right. permits a remarriage. So it's a uh, divorce in exception clauses, remarriage with those exception clauses in place as well. Gotcha. Okay, so let's say- Are, are we generally in agreement? I think we're generally okay. in agreement. Yeah, well, there might be little nuances
0: where we're, mm-hmm. but I think what you just said, I agree with. Okay, so you have a man now who yep. is divorced. He's either single and has been divorced and he wants to be a pastor or okay. he's remarried after divorce and he wants to be a pastor yes no
1: if if yes how or why yes and context that's okay. where I am so one if it's the divorce is pre-Christ um, yeah. I think we're going to handle that a little bit differently our lives before Christ were all a mess <laughs> do you know um, yeah. so I think uh, I think we want to handle that, that differently if it's post-coming to Christ and a divorce. If it's the exception clauses I've mentioned, uh, marital unfaithfulness on the other party, desertion or abuse, those those elements, then I'm going to go, yes, Uh, they can either be an elder as a single individual or as a remarried individual. If it is not those exception clauses, I'm going to say no. And the last caveat I'll put on is time and context. Yeah, that's... If you're talking divorce and next year you want to be an elder, then that's probably not a good idea because there is no innocent party in a divorce. There's always something that you could have done better, shoulda, coulda done of type thing, situation. And you want to have time to heal, time to learn, time to develop through that. So I'm going to say a kind of tentative, and it's not because I'm... Off on the theology and more meaning context and time. A tentative, yes, I, I'm okay with that. I am too. Um, I think to me, time is the question. Is sort of, um,
0: you know, you don't want it to be. I think some of the other qualifications come into mm-hmm. come into play here. And not that an innocent party would have a bad reputation with outsiders, yeah. but you want to put enough time into your current marriage if you're remarried. Yeah. That you're established now as a married man, husband of one wife, raising your kids, well, good reputation with outsiders, you, you're established. It's not yeah. a, it's not a, you know, um, it's not fresh or it's mm-hmm. not new or, or uh, in that regard. And I think similar to single, like if you're freshly divorced and and you're a single man, I just think some time, yeah. you know, to put that kind of in the in the rearview mirror. Yeah. We had a, a brother at, at my last church who, this wasn't to be a pastor, it was to be a deacon. And he had been passed over previously because I think the previous pastor or previous leadership, because he was divorced, and so you can't be a deacon. And and I wanted him to be a deacon. And his divorce was pre-conversion. Yeah, he had a daughter from that marriage, yeah. but he got saved after that divorce. Yeah. And the divorce wasn't even his. Like he was, even as a non-Christian, he was innocent in yeah. the divorce. Yeah. His wife, you know, committed adultery and left him, and etc. Later, got. Saved, got married to a Christian woman, had two more kids. He'd been married a long time. Yeah, I He's mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, and but just the very fact that he was divorced kind of ruled him out, according to some. And I was like, no, that's that's not what we're doing here.
1: Yeah, I actually know somebody just even this weekend. I've, I've been talking to him. He is the son of currently divorcing parents that the, his parents have been in ministry and are now no longer in ministry due to this kind of divorcing situation. And I'm just going to say this, it's not easy. Whether it's you that's divorced or whether it's your parents that are divorced and you're impacted by that and you're in ministry, it's not easy. So one of the things I'm going to say is yes, tentatively, yes, situation. But it's, a, it's going to be a hard road to walk because some people are going to have opinions, communities are going to look at you in certain right. ways. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that that's real. But I want to remind these guys, God uses broken people. Like we're talking about permissible divorce, permissible remarriage, man. Look at the people that God used in Scripture. Yeah, do you know, murderers and all this sort of stuff. Now, I'm not saying that that's we can do whatever we want and God will use us. What I'm saying is, let us always remember within a biblical context of what is permissible that God uses broken people and uses them in powerful ways. That does not mean it's going to be easy. So if, if this is somebody, you're divorced, it's in permissible ways, you're single or remarried, you're thinking, actually, this sounds like I could be uh, a pastor, an elder. I'm just going to say, be on your knees, be in prayer. This yeah. is This is going to be a tough road to walk, but it's also a noble task, 1 Timothy 3 says. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we probably agree on this one.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean the direct the direct answer to the question. Your take on husband of one wife, I, I take it to mean marital faithfulness. Agree. I don't think it means. And even I think in in the you know in the Pauline context may have something to do with monogamy versus polygamy and that mm-hmm. sort of thing as well. But certainly it has implications for divorce. But like if someone, I would say if they they're on their third or fourth marriage or something like that. Even if this most recent one is like the one, you yeah. know, I think you're now looking at other qualifications like above reproach and yep. things in your, – you're sort of saying like, look, brother, I'm not saying, you know, that, um, that this is – you know, that you haven't been done dirty the last three times or whatever yeah. it is, but this probably isn't the office for you. Questions. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think contextually. So there is wisdom to, to come into play here. I think even if someone has been divorced, if whether if they're single or remarried, you're looking at husband of one wife, you're looking at, they're just, they're faithful. They're sexually yeah. pure. They have a track record, a long settled track record yep. of, 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 faithfulness. All right, Aaron on Facebook What advice do you wish someone had given you when you were first stepping into a preaching ministry? And then Corey on Twitter, what books would you suggest a new pastor start preaching through? So kind of two preaching questions here. Just for the sake of time, we'll each give the one word of advice. What's the one thing you wish someone had given you when you were first stepping into a preaching ministry? And then
1: after we do that, we'll talk about some books that we like. Um. I wish I'd listened in the first Mm. place. I was going to say, like, (laughs) we can give all the advice advice you you want, but if you're not going to listen, mine one is simple. Build small and work, work larger. So uh, build up on a series, do something smaller, do quick wins. So your series may be five to ten sermons. Let the church know that you can complete a series. Um, maybe do two or three like that. Just showing the ability that when we say, hey, we're going to go through this book or this series, you do get it to completion, that it's enjoyable to get it to completion, that it all works together, and that you've learned the process of finishing the task. But Therefore, you have to start small. Don't come in and go, like, 100 sermon series going to take four years do you know it's actually just uh, for me i started with three back-to-back smaller series um, and i didn't know it then uh, but i went into this massive sermon series and and that was not right for the church so Mm -hmm. know that you currently have no buy-in with your church you currently have no trust built they currently don't know how you can complete and they might not be used to sermon series and you're preaching so start small Build your way up. It's quick wins. I'm not meaning like you're trying to win people. over. It's just start small and build up.
0: Getting those reps in. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: I wish somebody had said to me,
0: and again, I don't know that I would have listened, but I wish somebody had said to me, remember the cross. Oh, yeah. Preach the cross. Whatever else you do, preach the cross. And that may sound like a no-brainer to Aaron or anyone else who's listening, but it wasn't a no-brainer to me, you know, 30 years ago. And and it wasn't a no-brainer to those around me. No one gave me that advice the advice i was giving was be creative be engaging be dynamic maybe be biblical i mean i knew i had to kind of you know i had to do stuff from the bible but the idea of preaching christ the preaching the gospel in every sermon was a foreign concept i and even among the gospel centered tribe today this may sound like well that's, that's no brainer advice i don't think so i hear a number of sermons from people in the gospel camp and you get to the end and you think, there was no cross, there was no resurrection, there was actually no gospel of that. You might have mentioned Jesus. You might have used the words the gospel, but you didn't actually yeah. preach the gospel. So don't forget the cross. Absolutely. What What books would you suggest a new pastor start preaching through?
1: Um, so just a, a caveat on this, don't preach something that is your hobby horse. So okay. like before, right. you, like if you think, that's oh, a good I just, I, I love the book of Philemon and that's what I want to do don't go to that and so for me your first couple of series you're looking at something overtly encouraging overtly pointing towards christ but also relatively small Um, and so i would say something like colossians wonderful first chapter really pointing to christ you could do colossians depending on the length of your sermons and what passages anywhere between kind of six and 12-13 12-13 sermons so depending on what you're like you know that's really good I would also personally recommend something like Philippians as well Philippians talking about the church and how the church should be like Christ in their behaviour you can touch on some real negatives some real positives and again because it's similar in size to Colossians you're going to get it kind of 6 to 12 sermons. So I'm at start with the New Testament, start with something small, start with something encouraging. Colossians and Philippians kind of fall into that. It's interesting you say that. So
0: at my church plant, when I was first really diving into... Week to week, I'm the main preacher, expositional preaching. At my church plant, first series was through Philippians. Okay. When I moved to Vermont, first series was through Colossians. <laughs> and for similar reasons. I'd, I'd also say I would want to know if the church – so if you're a new pastor, you're going to a church, is the church used to progressing yep. through books of the Bible? If, if they're not, like they're used to every week, it's a different thing. It's a grab bag type deal. Spurgeonic, hey, whatever the Spirit's leading you to do, that's what you're going to do, or topical uh, uh, type stuff. I would say what Ross just said is what you ought to do. Shorter book, gets, so you're kind of helping them into the water, so to speak. You're kind of wading them in a little bit. If, if they're used to this, like you're just the new pastor, but this isn't new to them to preach through books of the Bible, I think it to start with a gospel would be yeah. fun. Yeah. Particularly John, perhaps, but maybe Mark, it's it's on the shorter side. But I mean, if you're going to be the longtime preacher, it almost doesn't matter how long this mm. series is, I suppose, because it's going to be you. It's not like you're trying to warm them up to you. Every sermon will do that. But maybe, maybe a gospel, because the narratives are fun. It's kind of, they're illustrative just in their own content, right? Mm. So it's a little less trying to you know, bring in illustrative content every week, you know, the narratives themselves are are illustrative. So I think preaching a gospel can be a fun thing to do. If you're going to the Old Testament, I would start with a shorter book if you're new. You know, maybe one of the minor prophets or one of the narrative books. You're right. Yeah, Ruth or or Esther. Esther.
1: I also would say when you're starting to build up, so let's say you've you've done your small ones, try and alternate. So if it was Colossians, then yeah. do Ruth. If it's Philippians, then do Esther. Try and alternate between new and old. Then step up. So I actually stepped up to Daniel. I did 23 sermons in Daniel. Mm. A lot of influence to the Son of Man. Point Again, always trying to build up that knowledge of Christ. And then after Daniel, I switched to Mark and did 51 sermons in Mark. And that was the longest series I did in that church I started with a series of twelve sermons. I ended with a series of fifty-one. Yeah, that's good. So you're building always. Let your and then once you've done that big fifty-one, you know you've done your big series. Go back back to to a really small. Yeah, Yeah.
0: (laughs) it may be good also sometimes to between series between books. Do a short topical yeah. series. Still expositional message, preach a passage, but a maybe sometimes. hey, we're gonna do two or three weeks on you know, Christian relationships yeah. or we're gonna do two th- you know, that sort of thing. Good question, Corey. All right, Derek on Facebook. Derek says, I'm a younger pastor compared to the rest of the folks that I serve. In the past, the pastor who served before me generally had two messages for the week, one on Sunday night one on Wednesday nights yeah. and then on Sunday mornings. I'm a bivo pastor, bivocational pastor, so the strain to have two sermons prepared has been difficult in my first year. And at this point, I'm thinking he's asking, how do I prepare two sermons? But that's not what he asks. actually. He says, I've been wanting to include more discussion among the folks that attend on Wednesday nights, which would take some of the load off of me. What is a good way to approach Wednesday night Bible study? I feel like most of the people that attend do not like to openly speak, so how can I encourage them to do so, mm-hmm. man. Uh, well, well, here's the first thing. First of all, Derek, there's no biblical mandate that a Wednesday night service <laughs> has yeah. to be a certain way. Yeah. Much less that you must have a Wednesday night service. So, if you do have that, you just know traditionally, this is you know culturally, this is what the church has expects, and 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 you can't you know not have the Wednesday night service or the Wednesday night time together. I think you're free to do what it is that you're asking here, which is to turn it more into a Bible study, less of a sermon time. Maybe you want to have more discussion, more conversation. The first thing I would say is realize this is brand new to your church. So it could be that none of them will ever speak ever that they're just not talking to people or it could be that they're not used to this yep. and you trying to get discussion is just it's just the newness and it's awkward and it's not how they've always done things, so they're a little reticent. Maybe it's not part of their culture to have this to speak up in Bible study settings. So the first thing is really just to be patient. And also to embrace the awkwardness. Don't be afraid of the of the awkward silence. If you like, you know, you throw a question out there. We've all been in this, whether <laughs> in small groups or Sunday school settings or what have you. You throw a question out, and it just sits there, and nobody says anything. And then we get a little awkward with the silence. We want to rush in. Okay, well, I'll answer it for you. Like, no, like, yeah, you know, let it sit there. Maybe there's somebody you could ask. Hey, so and so, as you know, if you're reasonably certain, you're not going to be embarrassing somebody or. You know, making somebody feel too picked on or something like that. You
1: could ask somebody, yeah. what do you think about that? You I, know? I do that. I I, I I look at the room and think, well, who is the most confident person to answer? I'll leave the silence for a while, and then I'll just go, hey, do you want to give a stab at that answer? Yeah. See where I So you've went encouraging. I'm really sorry, Derek. I, I, <laughs> I had... I had a, here's our EOR. I had another take on this, so I agree with literally everything you just said. Okay. Like that, that is how you go about. It. Just gentle. It's new for them. Just open your yeah. Bible, ask questions, leave the silence, uh, engage with them, and ask them. I had a couple of other questions that came up from this. Okay, and I'm going to rattle them off. I'm sorry, Derek, in advance. Why are you bivocational? And I'm okay, gonna, No, I'm gonna, come on. No, I'm gonna, I'm, the previous guy did too. Was the previous guy not bivocational? So if this is a bivocational hour of choice yeah. rather than the church situation, then I'm just going to simply say either you can't do everything because you're bivocational, i.e. maybe you shouldn't be the one leading Wednesdays. Other people can. Or maybe it's time to think to press in a little bit more and, and make this the full-time job. The other thing that came to my mind was sometimes this is the job where you are time pressured and you are going to have to take uh, those extra hours wake up a little bit earlier and and do the study and it is a lot and the other thing that came to my mind was that make it really simple you don't have to prepare an entire sermon but you can just open your bible and say we're going to walk first verse and just ask people what do you think but yeah my question is just on the two passages do one full sermon and then a, a light Bible study on Wednesday night, you should be able to do that in a kind of 20-hour bivocational role. So I just have a few questions of, are you not able to do it because other things are getting in your way? I'm picturing, I mean, I don't know, Derek, I'm picturing, so if he's
0: a bivocational pastor and the Wednesday night, tr- until, he, until he's assumed previously have been a Wednesday night service, yes, so it's just like a, well, not just like, but it's basically cool, just, just singing yeah. and there's a sermon. And he's saying, in the time that I have during the week, composing two sermons Agreed. is too much. Yeah, I'm totally sympathetic to that. Yeah. Especially if you're Bivo. Now, if you're full-time, you can say like, all right, this is the expectation. I'm going to be doing two sermons. That means I've got to let some of these other things yeah. kind of go. If you're Bible, I can see it's difficult because you also want to care for people. You yeah. want to love for people. And I know we, you know, You have opinions on bivocational and that sort of thing. Let's set that aside. Let's just assume it really is difficult to do two composed sermons. It shouldn't be, as you said, difficult to do a Wednesday night Bible study. Bible study, yeah. If there's no one else in the church that can do this, you can, as not just a Christian, but a mature Christian, you're a pastor, you're qualified to be an elder, open up the Bible and and say, this is what John means when he says this, and what do you guys think about this? So... Yes, you're kind of putting the load off, but you're still leading the thing. You're yeah. guiding the thing. Somebody says something crazy, you can gently correct it or steer it the yeah. right direction, and you, you know it's not. You're not just you know turning over the the you know the the teaching to the people in the yeah. in the group, but you're making it more conversational, more dialogical. That's totally fine. That's I think that's okay to where do. I'm going though, yeah. as
1: in if the previous guy was full time doing two sermons, then yeah. you kind of need to educate your church that if you're bivocational, that that's not going to really happen. Right. So someone else might need to help here. But all I'm going to say is, if the previous guy was a full time pastor, I'm just wondering why they now have a bivoc guy oh, in the role. Okay, and if. If it's by his choice, I'm going to say maybe press in a little bit more and give some more I The other stories.
0: thing is if the previous guy was bivo and was doing two sermons a week, you yeah. wonder, Expectation is, is a he day. a higher capacity guy? Is Did he doing he, less of pastoral where, care? Yeah, or where's the
1: visitation? So I'm yeah. going to say if you're stuck in the bivo, that's where you are. Release yourself from this idea of two sermons. Give yourself a lighter one on Wednesday. And also be honest with your church. Yeah, I mean, his... <laughs>
0: To be fair to Derek here, his Sorry. question is, well, his question was, what's a good way to approach Wednesday Night Bible Study, which we, we both pretty much answered. But he's also saying, how do I encourage them to speak? And I think going back to the idea of, like, just give them time. If this is a brand new concept to them, it could be that they're just people who will never speak up. Yeah. Or it could just be, it's so new, it's kind of weird. Well, I don't know. Is that what we're doing here? How do I? And you just be you know patient with them. Don't be afraid of silence. You can be gently prodding with certain people. Yeah. You can be humorous in the silence. Like, hey, don't know, everybody speak at once, you know. I mean, you can kind of lighten. I think some folks, yeah. they, they they it breaks the ice a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe you can even have, depending on the nature of your Bible study, icebreaker type things that get yeah. them in a conversational mode. Before you begin, say, "Who would like to share a story about the you know a time they did yep. X, and, you know Y and Z, or something like that?" And it just kind of gets people loosened up a little bit. There's ways you can approach it to kind of kind of grease the, the wheels.
1: The application, like maybe you can say, "You know, there's a farmer. Um, this is I've been in rural settings before. There's a farmer there. We're doing a study, and I'll go. Hey, I know we're talking about this in like general terms of the community. You, you're you're out in the farm quite a lot. What would be your take on this as a farmer? Like bring almost." Mm. Make it easy for them to respond. Hey, you you run the local bakery. Have you struggled with evangelism? What's your thoughts on this? Yeah. You're almost giving them half the answer. Yeah. Uh, okay, last question. This
0: comes from Angelo on Facebook. He wants to know, what is your best advice in regards to pastoring in a rural context? Best advice, pastoring in a rural context. I'm going to be short. I've pastored in a rural context. Um, I loved pastoring in a rural context. If anything, I felt more alive pastoring in a rural context. I would say patience, slowness, and genuine kindness. People will love if you're a good preacher, but even if you're a good preacher, if you're not a good pastor, they notice that. Mm -hmm. In more suburban or urban environments, perhaps, not in all, I, I know I'm broad brushing here, but in a lot of those contexts, people will be content if you're a good speaker on Sunday morning. In rural contexts where people may be more spread out, they also tend to be more relationally close or just more in tune with each other. And if you're not known as someone who's going to show up at people's houses or at the hospital when somebody's sick or at the kids' ball games or those sorts of things, yeah. all your good preaching in the world isn't going to translate to credibility over time. So just make sure that your your pastoral energy matches your preaching energy. And when it comes to change and leadership and those sorts of things, things just move much more slowly. People tend to be more suspicious of outsiders, not necessarily negative ways, just it takes a while for you to belong in rural communities. So just be really patient, really dig in for the long haul, be gentle and kind and a good shepherd.
1: Uh, I've got like one all-encompassing piece of advice. Obviously, you know, preach well, do all these things. Your witness is important. Everything like that. But uh, kind of practical, all-encompassing thing. Uh, Visit everyone in your church. uh, Learn their jobs. Understand their way of living. If they're a farmer, offer to go out one morning to help them with a task. If they run a local store, go and purchase things from that local store. Shop locally. Understand, you know, what the community is doing. Go to all the community events you can muster yourself up to. Go to the, you know, the, the high school football game. You know, go to these things. Be known in the community. And what I found is in a rural setting that as you do that, what people are going is, man, he really cares for us. He really understands us. You know, I pastored in a really rural setting, and the farmer's just like, you don't understand what our life is like. And I used to go, okay, take me out for a day. Show me what it feels like to be in your life so I can understand better. That is pastoring in that rural setting. So shop locally, visit everyone, learn about everything. Literally just immerse yourself in that community. And at times it's going to feel like too much. That is why at night time you can escape back to your own home as well. So it's kind of one of those things in a rural community. Yes, have your door open. Yes, be involved in everything. But also know that sometimes you might just have to go and drive somewhere else to get away from everything just for the day. Don't make it public. Don't be like this town locally is amazing. It's bigger. You know, there's a Walmart here, whatever. Just sometimes you'll need to escape from that constant kind of involvement. I love that part of ministry, of just being involved in the community, being known by everyone by name, you know, and it's not because I'm a big deal, but because it's just wonderful to walk down the street and know, oh, there's Jim and there's Joe and, you know, it's just nice. That's good. I would too, Angelo, if you didn't catch it,
0: go back to episode 214. Uh, It's actually pretty recent, June 7th episode. Uh, this year, 2003, Uh, episode 214, which is my interview with Ronnie Martin and Donnie Griggs on pastoring small towns. So not necessarily rural, but still most rural churches are in small towns. So the small town pastoring episode may help you out as well. All right, some great questions. We just wrapped up another exciting mailbag installment dear listener if you enjoy the podcast please give us a good review on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you listen to your favorite podcast and until next time may jesus be big in your church you've been listening to the for the church podcast hosted by jared wilson managing editor of for the church found online at ftc.co this resource is brought to you by midwestern baptist theological seminary in kansas city missouri where we train leaders for the church.